I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, 36 figures from Melbourne's criminal underworld were killed between January 1998 and August 2010 in the gangland killings. The names Carl Williams, Tony Mockbell, Mick Gatto, Mark and Jason Moran and Andrew Benji Venyaman have become infamous as a result. Darren Hinch was on radio for most of that time and was involved in a number of iconic interviews. I think we should tell people again from the start the, your email address. So yeah, if yeah, anyone wants to contact us, hinch at hinch dot hinch dot net. No dot coms, not a use. Just hinch at hinch dot net. Go straight to uh, Mr. Hinch here, and uh, if you have any request, any question you'd like to ask, or anywhere you'd like the podcast series to go, any topics that uh, you might want to have discussed, mm. we'll look at them. Maybe read some of the. Uh, yeah, we will. The, the emails out. Darren, this morning we're going to talk about uh, what happened in Melbourne uh, between, you know, the late 1990s and uh, 2010, known as the uh, gangland killings, the underworld killings. 36 criminal underworld figures were killed in that period. Some very, very big names. Mm. Uh What's your memory of it? Was extraordinary. It was an extraordinary time. Um, and in, in preparation for this podcast, I went back and listened to um, interviews I'd done with uh, Carl Williams and Mick Gatto, an extraordinary one with Wendy Pierce, whose husband was involved in the Wall Street killings. And uh, it was they were extraordinary times. And the weirdest thing was Williams. He would call me. I, I never called them. I've, I've never. Put, called him up to get my ear, uh, and Williams would call me. And if I asked him a tough question, he'd pretend the line dropped out and he'd hang up, and then he'd call me back. Well, in he, one of the interviews, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> the line dropped out, and it looked like he'd hung up. And then there's another phone call, and there he is, Carl Williams, talking in a very, you know, I, I, I know, I, I, what was the line he said? Uh, there was no, I didn't make no threats to kill. So, yeah, so yeah, I didn't like make that. no such threats to kill. We had him on tape, you know. But the thing was that he, he'd gone, he, he, was, he, he was on bail, and he'd gone off to Queensland with Benji Veneman, his friend, bodyguard, and, and um, hired Well, well he, he, you asked him about him, and uh, he said, he's not my bodyguard. In fact, he can't swim. I'm looking after him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, how they got permission to go to Queensland, I do not know. But anyway, they were there. And in that interview, we'll play some of it later on, but uh, Williams was extraordinary. I remember saying to him one stage, do you have insurance? And uh, I wouldn't be buying any new shirts. But when I asked him what he actually did for a living, how he made his money... He just bullshitted. And well, he, he, said, he said, I'm a commissioner. Yeah, a commissioner. I said, well, who do you commission? What do you commission? He said, oh, I sort of commission jewellery <laughs> and rubbish like that, you know. Uh, but he, the Williams story is amazing because he did a deal with the cops uh, in which he gave information to the cops, valuable information. But we found out that um, the police had been paying for him and his father to go to some motel 
in country in downtown Victoria, sorry, uh, in uh, Mornington or something like that. Or a bit of horizontal rumba. Yes, he, he, they were hiring, he was hiring hookers down there and he was getting away and they, they were doing this. Then they did a deal with him. Now, 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 doesn't that strike you as amazing that the police actually have the power to be able to do that yeah, sort of well, stuff? And it Without up, telling anybody? It blew up in their face all the time. I mean, Wendy Pierce was allegedly bonking one of her security guards when she was in protective custody, and then she changed her evidence and, uh, and wouldn't testify against her husband um, uh, during uh, the Wall Street uh, killings. But in, but in, in William's case, uh, not only was there the deal that they could hire hookers, number two, supposedly they're going to wipe his father's three or four $500,000 tax bill, and number three, they'd do a deal that'd get him a, a lower sentence for murder. Now... Justice King, I think it was, when it got to the court, and he'd done this deal with the coppers to have a light sentence, and the prosecutor sort of said, well, uh, Justice Judge King, we just... And she says, I decide what the sentence is here. You don't. And she slammed him for 33 years. And that wasn't the deal that uh, that, that um, Williams had made. Now, obviously, in the other thing, when he was beaten to death with a piece of... Uh, exercise bike um, there had to be some inside knowledge there I mean suddenly conveniently prison wardens um, didn't see that room for about 40 minutes and it was enough time for his killer to bash him over the head drag his body back to his cell and leave him there and, until he died uh, so there are all sorts of questions still questions uh, on on the Williams stuff the, the, the story I do recall about Carl Williams some coppers told me, you may recall, they finally arrested him on a median strip somewhere, I think, out near Tullamarine. And he was so scared. Oh, he, he was on the ground. He peed himself. He was so scared. He it, pissed it, himself. It was around Albert Park. Was it really? I, I, I can't beach. remember. But I know yeah. that. I do know the coppers told me. They said he was such a, this big, tough underworld boss was so petrified <laughs> when they grabbed him that he <laughs> peed himself. <laughs> but that was an amazing conversation because she called me. I, I'd called her a, a gangster's mole and, and listen. And she was trying to get money for her kids. I do recall one stage when she called me up and she said, uh, think about my children. I said, people, you shouldn't have children. There should be a law against it. And she said, what about the defamation laws? I said, truth to defence in Victoria. You couldn't win a defamation case against me if you tried. Well, you called her some pretty... Uh... Well, I said, you're a mole, you're a slut, you're... Yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, let's go to the beginning. Alphonse Gangitano. Mm. They used to call him the Black Prince of uh, Carlton. These guys I, I'd never heard of. You know, it's only well, bit by bit by well, bit. You sort of don't remember when you first came into contact. Well, Alphonse Gangitano, I recall, I was on Channel 7 doing the Hinge program at the time, and uh, and I sent uh, Dermot O'Brien, who became was my producer and, uh, and, and long-time friend, he went to a two-up game uh, out at Carlton somewhere, and, uh, and Gangitano was there, apparently. And about a day later... I get a message back from um, – he gets a message and, he's, and Dermot O'Brien, my producer, says, oh, we just had a, a nappy, Ol, 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 nappy Ollington, or some name like that. Ol, nappy Ollington ran the two-up game. But, but Gangitano was there. And Gangitano's mob called Dermot and said, you know, tell Hinch, you know, da 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 drop this story or we'll kill him. And I remember saying to Dermot, oh, God, I said, Gangitano, he said, he, he thinks he's Al Pacino in Serpico. I mean, he wanders around, he swaggers around Carlton in his big black coat, you know, some latte-sipping two-bit hood. 
Well, he'd killed somebody earlier. Uh, yeah, in well, St Kilda, which actually started this whole, the whole thing, and also the he, uh, he, he, they, they had a huge brawl in a, in a bar, and so, I remember uh, an innocent person lost his eye because Ganjatano took to him with a baseball bat or a cricket bat or in, something in like King that. King Street, one of the nightclubs. That's that, right, which, which then flowed out onto the street, and there's video footage of yeah, that. Yeah, uh, and, and that one guy brawl. lost his lost his eye, but um, I mean, they were such tough times. Uh, I recall. I used to drink, in my drinking days, I used to drink at the Royce Hotel in St Kilda Road, which is opposite, across the road from the St Kilda Police Station. And I suddenly get a call. I suddenly get a call from, from a contact. He said, hey, Hinchy, Lewis Moran's just been shot dead. And it was about 20 past six at night, I think it was. And so I immediately called 3AW and broke it on the sports show. And I took that phone call, Derek. <laughs> Yeah, and said, hey, Lewis Moran has been murdered. And the other guy with him um, was shot but didn't die. Bertie Rout. Yeah, that's right. Who, who used to uh, go to school with Ronnie Burke, who was the most law-abiding guy you'll ever meet. And they used to walk home from school with their school bags slung over their shoulders in North Melbourne. And Ronnie hadn't seen him for 50 or 60 years and his name comes up as one of the guys shot. Yeah, well, the weirdest thing there was that I walked back in, after announcing on 3AW, I walked back into the, the hotel, into the bar, and I'm telling guys from the Homicide Squad, I say, hey, Lewis Moran's dead. And they look at me like, how did you know that? I said, I just know, okay? So they all scarpered, uh, et cetera. But um, it was in the middle of it all. I mean, you had, you had people being shot in public. Uh, in New York in the old gangster days and the, the, the gattos, not the gattos, the gallows and all those people, there was a there was a unwritten law that the gangsters didn't shoot anybody in front of their children. It was a sort of an unwritten mafia law, and yet um, when um, Crazy Joe Gallo was shot at, at a restaurant in uh, in uh, Little Italy in America, uh, he was shot dead in front of his thirteen year old daughter uh, in in a place called Umberto's Clam House. How's that for a memory? Umberto. Umberto's oh. Clam House, and he was shot dead in front of his daughter because we, a bunch of journo's, became acquainted with a um, uh, a prostitute called the Happy Hooker. Xaviera uh, Hollander. Now acquainted in the professional uh, sense, dear. Yes, yeah. We, we, she, she knew cops, and we, we, we drank together. Right. I mean, we didn't, we didn't go to bed. We just drank together. Anyway, we had a farewell party on board a double decker bus for her when she was deported from America. But as part of that night, we ended up, for some reason, at Umberto's clam house where Crazy Joe had just been shot dead a few weeks before. And uh, suddenly, some smart-ass journo pulled my chair out from behind me as I went to sit down, and the chair fell over and went crack on the floor and made a bang noise. Every waiter hit the mattress. Every waiter dived <laughs> under a table because they, they thought well, the shooting had started they, again. They would have been shitting themselves. Oh, yeah. It only happened recently. Yeah, and uh, I, I, tell you, I, I was under the table too within about <laughs> two and a half minutes because it's just whammy. Um, Talking about killing uh, in front of children, of course, this shit really hit the fan. Uh, I think it was 2003, the, June... The, this this is the uh, the the kick the school kids yeah the so the, uh, the 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 footy clinic yeah uh, and uh, they were sitting in a van uh, one of the Morans Jason Moran 
Yes. And uh, and a guy called Pasquale Barbaro. That's right. I remember that guy because my mum's buried at, at a mausoleum in uh, Faulkner and his grave is about 20 metres away and I have Good to Lord. walk past his grave to go and see yeah. my mum. Uh, and, of course, that really then, you know, how could this happen in front of kids? This is in, in broad daylight at 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. See, there's a while now the theory was, and this is, this is wrong, the theory was, well, they're only killing each other, so what does it matter? Um, like a, an American uh, mafia boss once said, we catch and kill our own. But the danger there that, that a stray bullet could take out Children. I mean, we had we had the, one of the Russian guys was shot dead, and and the bullets flying there nearly took out a kid. Well, so, even with the uh, the Bertie Rout and the Lewis Moran shooting, yeah. that happened in a public place. That's right. There's heaps of people around. Yeah. yeah, I mean, anyone could be caught mm. in the uh, in the crossfire. Um, but we, it really was cowboy stuff, you know. They were it was real boot hill stuff, uh, and you had you had the swagger. I mean. I can't remember who it was on radio. Somebody took, um, on an FM station, took a limo and took Roberta Williams around to all the death scenes. You know, I mean, this is madness. Well, it was making it look like they were big-time celebrities. Uh, and, uh, and, and, of course, what does that do to the next generation? Does, well, does well, it was Roberta... perpetuate the problem even it, worse? It does. Now, Roberta Williams, I'll say allegedly, uh, urged Carl... To quote, show some balls and shoot somebody, and that's when he went and shot, because Jason Moran and his brother had shot Carl in the stomach, and he survived. And then she'd get some Stupidly balls. Stupidly and- let him survive. Mm-hmm. Stupidly let him yes. survive. And so he went out again. Then Carl went out and, and, and shot. Um, some uh, of the Jason. amazing characters. I mean, of course, Gatto is one of the, uh, the 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 figures that is prominent in all this. And you had that famous altercation with him mm. on radio. How did that come about? Well, I'd, it was my first day back on air. I remember that, whatever year it was. I'd been on air for 17 minutes. And one of Gatto's, I'd obviously been being critical of Gatto about something. And one of his mates called me up and said, Hey, Hinch, you know, you know you've been, you know, you've been mouthing off about my mate, Mick Gatto. I said, yeah. He said, well, he's here. I said, well, put him on. And he did. And Gatto said something to, said to me, he said, I hear you've been saying X, Y, Z. I said, well, That's- it started, I've heard the phone call, and it started <laughs> off friendly, you know, in that sort of cagey, friendly sort of well, way well, he from said, him. Yeah, well, he, then, he, then, he, then, yeah, it started off fairly friendly, and then he said, well, he said, anyway, Hinch, I think you're a maggot, and this is where it all turned, because I said, well, Mr. Gatto, to be called a maggot by a person like you, I'll happily take that to my grave. And that's when he said, well, I hope you go there soon. And then I said something like, yeah, and if you put me there, you'd plead self-defence because you usually do. One of the weirdest, in the middle of all this, one of the weirdest conversations was the Wendy Pierce conversation. Because um, I'd gone and done editorial. She was, she was trying to get um, money for her children in some sort of, uh, um, you know, some sort of government grant. Right? That she said they were owed money. Well, her husband was Victor Pierce. Victor Pierce, who was shot in a car yep. in South Melbourne. Yep. And she had three children with him? I think so. Yeah. And so she wanted to get some government grant or something. That's right, yeah. And and it, it was, I think it was about 100 grand or something like that. But And, and he'd been 
he was cleared of the Wall Street killings. They couldn't come to a verdict. Well, let's go back to the Wall Street killings then because people, younger listeners to the podcast, would have no idea what happened. Well, I was overseas when that happened. But in 1988, two police were shot. Okay, the Wall Street killings were allegedly, two coppers were killed, was allegedly a, a gangland payback for police who'd shot and killed a crim. Right, and so they said all gloves are off. For I think it was Victor Pierce who allegedly said, "For every one of us they kill, we'll kill two of them." And so they set up uh, a, a stolen car thing in Wall Street in South Yarra, and uh, two coppers, young coppers, they weren't even meant to be there. They were actually from Paran. They were just swinging by. It was a busy night, and somebody said, "Oh, could you guys cope with that one?" She said, "Yeah, oh, we'll take it." So they sort of swung by a stolen car thing. There's a car parked in Wall Street with the doors open, and a guy either sitting or near the near the car. The coppers sauntered up, just sort of fairly normal sort of story to do, job to do, and he suddenly uh, he grabbed. I think he grabbed one of the coppers' uh, police revolvers and, and shot them both dead. Tynan and Air. Yeah, but she, but but Wendy Pierce was was going to be a, a government witness. Was put into protective custody. Allegedly had a uh, fairly close relationship with one of the guards, and then changed her mind and became a hostile witness. And I think the government should have gone after her harder as a hostile witness and said, this is what you've told us in the past, bang, 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 bang. The fact that um, that, 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 that Victor Pierce got off that one was, was a disgrace. Well, one of the guys that you knew and you actually interviewed him on the radio was uh, the lawyer, Andrew Fraser, who mm. appeared for these guys. Yeah. Uh, so were you getting... Uh, uh, I mean, he says that the police didn't do a proper job. I, I think he's probably right. I mean, Andrew Fraser, of course, did time himself over yeah. over drug charges, um, but um, the police did a sloppy job. I think this is easy for me to say as a Monday morning quarterback. I think they thought they had it wrapped up. They had Wendy Pierce in their pocket. You know, the the, the wife of the accused was going to dump on him, and then it all it all went apeshit. So thirty two years after it happened, because it happened in October of 1988, mm. no one's been convicted no, n- and never of will the killings be, no. of these two police yeah. officers. Yeah. And, and, of course, Pierce, Pierce is dead. And, uh, uh, um, but, he, look, he, I really believe the police thought they had it in the bag and so they got a bit sloppy. Um, another character in all of this is the hitman, Andrew Benji Veniam. Veniman. Mm. Little guy. Yeah. Weedy little guy. He looked a bit tough because he had, you know, tattoos all over him. Mm. But if you, if you saw him in the street, you, 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 you know, just... He, he came from, from memory. He came from Sunshine. Mm. There was a gang of young thugs out of Sunshine. Uh, he became very close to Carl Williams. I think became even closer to Roberta Williams. Um, and uh, and when he was shot dead by Mick Garrow uh, at... Um, La Pochetta, I think it was called in Carlton. La Porcella. La Pochella, okay. Yeah. You're, you're Italian. I take it back. <laughs> La Pochella. And, uh, and, and, and um, Mick Garrow spent some time in jail on remand and then pleaded not guilty and well, uh, and pleaded v- self-defence and was found not guilty. Veniamin played both sides. I guess he was, oh, yeah. he was, a, he was a gun for hire, so he, he killed for whoever was prepared to give mm. him money, but he became 
clearly associated with the Williams side. But prior to that, he'd been with... Uh, the Carl- with the, Carl- the Carl- Carl- it's called the Carlton Carl- Gang. Crew. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. I remember that shooting very well because uh, we got a phone call in the newsroom saying someone had been shot on the corner of Faraday and Rathdown Street mm-hmm. in Carlton. And I knew, as I used to go to the doctor near there, just up the road there, there was a doctor, Dr. Galicchio. So I rang his surgery and I said, what's the restaurant's name on the corner there? Because I'd forgotten it. La Porcella. (laughs) So I rang La Porcella. would have been about three o'clock in the afternoon. The shooting had just happened. Benjamin's body would have been in that back part Mm. of the restaurant. And I said, "Um, I believe there's been a shooting out the front of your restaurant. This guy answers the phone. I know nothing. (laughs) And he hung up. He obviously knew something because yeah. the body was in his restaurant. Yeah, because that was the uh, that was that was one of Gatto's uh, favourite spots. There's a story that I was told by one of Gatto's associates, um, and it involves Eddie Maguire because Eddie knew Gatto liked to hang out with with celebs. Okay, uh, he invited me even after all this happened to have coffee with him. I said, "No, I only have coffee with friends," you know? um, but a According to the story I was told, is that Eddie Maguire was meant to have lunch at that restaurant with Gatto. Now, and why would Eddie Maguire do that? I don't know, but as a joke, you know, as a joke, Gatto's people or Gatto himself put a fake arm hanging out the back of a car boot, <laughs> right outside the restaurant. <laughs> and when Eddie turns up, he sees the arm, the arm hanging out the back of the trunk. And just keeps walking. He doesn't does not go inside. So he just kept going. So. Did he confirm that story, Eddie, or not? I, I, I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember. My, my ghetto story is uh, in uh, 2009. There was a, an earthquake at L'Aquila in Italy, and the Italian community was raising money to help this city mm-hmm. that had been devastated by the earthquake. And uh, I just started doing the Italian program that I do, and so they got me to be the MC to raise money. And every different Italian group, restaurant, whatever, reception centre organised their own uh, fundraising thing. This particular night, this guy had organised it. Right at the end, he goes, oh, by the way, I should tell you, Mick Gatto's going to be there. So nothing I could do about it. Mm. I'm not going to decide who the guest list is. So I went ahead and did the MC. And we had Mick did turn up. He was there. But we had two live turkeys that we were... Uh, auctioning off and one of the turkeys was called Mick (laughs) it was just funny I was auctioning off the turkey calling it Mick looking at Mick he was looking at the turkey looking at me we're all looking at each other (laughs) during the night it was quite a surreal uh, surreal experience you've never met Mick Gatto I don't think so no I, I I remember once he got involved in a charity which I pulled out of because uh, it was uh, uh, Victor Chang, I think it was. Uh, but he, you know, he tried to be more respectable by getting involved in charities and raising money. And he, he did something once, I think, with Jerry Lewis came out here and uh, and Rhonda Birchmore, who's been a dear friend of mine for 30 years, she appeared there singing, right? And I'd said to her, I said, hey, Rhonda, you know, Mick Gatto's going to be there. And she said, well, I'm just appearing to raise money for charity. So there was always that connection that, that always worried me and I made sure that I... So I didn't go there. Look, it's so dangerous. I just this week, somebody put up on uh, on Facebook saying, "Oh, Hinchy, just found this classic photo of you 
and there's me and a couple of Melbourne thugs, right? Well, I saw that photograph. The problem with that photograph is the head didn't match the body. Well, it's, it's, it's not me. It's, it's Photoshop. There's a picture of me with two Melbourne gangsters, and the head, my head was far too big for the body. And I, <laughs> Well, and it was a weird angle, yeah. too. I mean, it looked like there was something wrong with your neck well, if you could carry your head that way. Well, I did actually um, send a, a note back to somebody saying, yeah, classic photo, but it ain't me because I've never owned a tie that bad. Because it had some black and white tie as well. When you when you had that famous telephone call with mm. Gatto on air, and it got tense, you know, people came away from that thinking, Darren, you, you could be in trouble. Mm. Uh, and this is the problem, you know. Uh, uh, th- these guys... Uh, well, there are two things out of this, Tony. One is that um, uh, my ex-wife Chanel ran a private investigation company, right? And so she's fairly cautious. But after that phone call... I had a very distinctive Cadillac I used to drive in those days. And uh, she would always, I could see, look over her shoulder out the back window as we swung into the parking lot to see if we were being followed. Right? That was number one. Number two... It she would be unheard of. Well, yeah, but she, also, but she also raised the other issue, which could easily happen. You know, in those days, have a few drinks or whatever. I could have been walking home or somebody could pick a fight with you in a bar and punch the bejesus out of you. you know, and they say, oh, hence picked an argument in a bar with some guy who actually set you up. I mean, I, I it, it, across the road at the Royce once, I um, jumped up behind a guy and got him in a headlock because he'd pulled a knife on somebody. You know, uh, so have, that could have turned turned have even nasty. Have you ever nasty. been in fear of your life doing what you do? Because you've upset people over the years. Yeah, not 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 really. I did. There's a period back there during the pains and dockers and all that sort of stuff. The the, the, the real shit fights we're having with the unions back then, and I was getting death threats. And three AW three AW hired um, a private detective to escort me to work every morning with a, with a bloody gun on his This is in the middle of the Wharfies dispute. Yes, it was. And he had, he, had, he, had a, he had a gun on his hip and escorted me to work every morning. Um, I shouldn't... I, I promise I wouldn't tell the story again because it, it, it's so unseemly, but never mind. Um, a journalist from the Herald Sun got a whisper that, that I was having death threats. And I said, look, I'm not going to confirm anything. There's no point. So there's no point in talking to me. And he said, but we're hearing very strong rumours. So I didn't tell him about the um, the private detective. But I did say a, an appalling thing. I said, oh, but, oh, just look, I'm not really taking any precautions. I said, but I said, um, this is when I was married to Jackie Weaver. Right? I said, not taking any precautions really, but uh, just one. He said, what's that? I said, oh, I get Jackie to start the car every morning. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a bad joke, a bad joke. <laughs> and uh, how did she respond to that joke? No, she laughs. She's, she's got a great sense of humour. She's fine. There's a lot to talk about in this particular topic, uh, Darren. I mean, we haven't touched on uh, Tony Mockbell yet mm. uh, and Mario Condello as well. Of course, Terence and Christine Hodson. Uh, just briefly, though, before we, I think we'll do them in a... Uh, separate one. Separate okay. one. Mm. But uh, during this time, the police uh, were under a lot of pressure. Mm. Uh, they set up the Piranha Task Force to investigate and try and stop these underworld shootings. And that's when uh, Lawyer X, you know, mm. uh, Nicola Gobbo, was playing both sides. The Lawyer X scandal has 
legs 30 feet long. A lot of cops disgrace themselves in there. Um, some um, did well. Some said, we can't do this. This has got a Royal Commission written all over it, which has suddenly happened. You know, they were, they were, she was playing both sides of the fence, but so were the cops because they thought she was that valuable. So let's leave that for now and go back to it uh, later on. We will uh, do the second part of this mm. next week.